Hello and welcome to the Worst Movies We Own podcast. My name is Bobby and this is my beautiful wife. Natalie. This episode we have watched... In Dreams. From what year, Natalie? 1999. Natalie, why don't you tell the people at home what the Worst Movies We Own podcast is all about? So Bobby and I are married, we watch a lot of films together and we have a lot of DVDs. We've decided to watch the worst DVDs we own according to the ratings these films have received on the website Letterboxd. We've not bought any films specifically for the podcast, it's a mixture of charity shop gambles, stuff included in box sets and things we've bought that other people just don't enjoy. Uh, we're hoping to find some absolute treasures amongst these low-rated films, so we're watching each one with an open mind, hoping for the best. In Dreams, mm. Neil Jordan. Yeah. Annette Benning, Robert Downey Jr. Names, names, yeah. yeah. Kind of what you'd call like a Saturday night film. Yeah, well that's why I got this originally, because it was when I was going through my phase of trying to get every James Spader film available but james spade is not in this film i know that but you know when you go on imdb and it tells you films that you might like that are similar mm -hmm. so i got distracted when i was looking one up at some point and in dreams popped up yeah and i read the synopsis robert downey jr not a million miles away from james spader do you fancy robert downey jr i can't stand him but do you know why why iron man it's the Iron Man. It's the I Marvel movies. It. Yeah. Well, no, it's, yeah, Iron Man's got a special reason for hatred for Go me. on, lay it down on me. I don't know if you want to hear this, oh, but I went on a date to the first Iron Man film and it was a horrible date with a horrible boy, and but also I hated the film, so I never, I swore never to watch an Iron Man film again. Oh, that's a shame. There's a Shane Black one. I don't think that would save it for me. It wouldn't save it for you. Okay, fair enough. I mean, maybe that's why you're completely down on the whole Marvel franchise it's in not. general. That's the only reason. But that's like the first one, the first film, and yeah, already off to a bad start with you. Yeah, it was pretty rubbish, though. I mean, it's not just because of the date. People yeah. disagree with you on that one. Yes. <laughs> I know, and I, I accept other people's opinions. But anyway, no. I, I Robert Downey Jr., I like more than I did when Iron Man came out because I hadn't really seen him in that many things, for mm. reasons, um, his personal reasons, I yeah. suppose. Because uh, he can just, I've not really seen him in anything. But going back to, like, the 80s, uh, Tough Turf, for instance. Yeah. He's in Tough Turf, he's, he's in Tough Turf, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm more on board with him now, as a younger, when, when, he, when he was younger. Oh, I also couldn't stand that Sherlock Holmes film he made. With Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes with Jude Law. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I like Robert Downey Jr. He's like Johnny Depp to me, in that he's someone who made lots of interesting choices at the start of his fame mm. and then just found the franchise niche despite his troubles. Yeah. And more power to him for earning lots of money and becoming a household name from what ten years before looked like the end of his career. Mm. I feel the same way about Johnny Depp as I do Robert Downey Jr. That doesn't necessarily mean I want to see him in everything. Yeah. And I'll be honest and say, there's only so many times you can watch the Jack Sparrow shtick and mm. not get bored of it. And there's only so many times you can watch the Iron Man shtick and get bored of it. And that's where I am with Robert Downey Jr. Love to see him do something a bit different. Yeah. That's where I am. I'd like to see him go back to his indie roots. Okay, well, yeah, that would be nice, but I don't know if that, if he maybe he's closed that door off to him. I don't know. I think the pair of them don't really need to work. They they earn so much from their respective franchises that mm. it's, it's, it's their own choices what they want to do. Yeah. 
In Dreams, do you want to tell people at home what the plot of it is? Yeah, so our main character, Claire, has had psychic visions in her dreams all her life. But one day she dreams about a serial killer who's currently operating in the area, leading away a child. And that child turns out to be her own daughter, who soon afterwards is snatched and murdered. So Claire continues, even in her grief, to dream about this killer. But soon it becomes obvious that it's a two-way system. And he starts infiltrating her thoughts too, showing her what he wants her to see. Um, she's committed to an asylum by her unfaithful husband and she must helplessly watch the killer's movements from inside her own mind during her dreams until she uses information in her dream to escape and track him down before he kills another little girl. Lovely stuff. Um, the killing of a little girl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of your thing, kind of your jam. This. Uh, yeah, it should yeah. be. So, I mean, in multiple ways, because it's got the the thriller... Mm -hmm. uh, psychological kind of thriller element to it hence the Saturday night movie choice um, it's it's got horror in it it's it's got a fairy tale yeah, the, element to it uh, when, when we go into what we like didn't like it's the fairy tale element I think's the best part of yeah um, so I mean you know on paper it's it should be great there was the one worrying aspect of it in that it's it's an Annette Benning vehicle. You don't like Annette Benning? I can't stand Annette well, Benning. Well, you've got loads of beefs with the stars of this film. Where do you get them for Aidan <laughs> Quinn? Oh, I've got nothing against Aidan Quinn. Annette, Annette Benning is fantastic in The Grifters, in American Beauty. But she's not fantastic in American Beauty. She is the weak link in okay. American Beauty. Get Annette Benning off your chest now then, please. I just, I don't get her. I don't, she's bland, she's annoying, she can't act, as evidenced in this film particularly, which we'll get on to. Um, I, I don't get Annette Benning. I've never seen that Gloria Graham film she's in, mm -hmm. but I am personally offended that they chose Annette Benning to play Gloria Graham. Because she's one of your favourite old school movies. She's stars. great, yeah, and she's got charisma and she's beautiful and she's wonderful and she's funny. Annette Benning's not funny. Uh, I disagree, but I'm going to pose you a little question. Mm. Should Warren Beatty <laughs> have married Sean Young instead? <laughs> uh, which, <gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think Sean Young has Sean Young ever been actually married? I, I've got no idea. We're not going to slag off Sean Young. No. I feel she had issues in the eighties and nineties that maybe she's got over. Now. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't <laughs> like to see her in a relationship with someone like Warren Beatty. Yeah, <laughs> because I don't think they would be good for either no. of each other. Did she not super glue his dick to his spine? Oh, was that? Yeah. That, it was yeah. him? Yeah. Oh, right, okay. That's why I brought it up. It wasn't just a random <laughs> grab from the air. Um, I didn't know that, but good, more power to her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's do some facts and figures, and we'll... I, th I think we're skirting around discussing In Dreams too much until we get into the meat of the podcast, just mm. because it's it's a strange film, and we're probably definitely going to discuss spoilers, and I get the feeling it's a film that not many people listening to podcasts will have seen before. Mm. I'd probably say you probably don't need to rush out and see it. Just enjoy the podcast. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In Dreams from 1999, directed by Neil Jordan. Written by Bruce Robinson. Yep. Who uh, made With Nail and I and had to get ahead in advertising. And then after that, really struggled in Hollywood to kind of turn those British successes into Hollywood successes. Yeah. He made one other thriller quite like this called Jennifer 8 with Uma Thurman and Andy Garcia. Lance Henriksen, mm -hmm. which is perfectly watchable, but not great. Mm -hmm. And he had stuck trouble with the studio. And this, he tried to get off the ground for years. It's an adaptation of Doll's Eyes by an author called Barry Woods, who also wrote Dead Ringers. 
right, okay. The David Cronenberg, Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons film. <laughs> uh, and he struggled with Hollywood the whole pro- for the whole five or six years, and eventually Neil Jordan took the process project off him, rewrote the script, and after he saw the film, he was like, nah, don't like Hollywood, quitting, that's oh. enough of that. Okay. It stars Annette Benning, who Natalie doesn't like, Robert Downey Jr., who Natalie doesn't like, Aidan Quinn, who... Oh, yeah, I like Aidan Quinn. Mm-hmm. Beautiful man, mm-hmm. beautiful man. We'll be discussing Aidan Quinn during the podcast. Paul Guilfoyle, who Natalie uh, likes. Yeah, great. <laughs> you're, you're always excited to see Paul Guilfoyle. I do, I love Paul Guilfoyle. <laughs> and Stephen Rear. Okay, Natalie doesn't like. <laughs> Can't stand Stephen Rear. We've been together for a long old time now, and I'm still learning stuff about her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was released on the 15th of January 1999, which January and February used to be a dumping ground for Hollywood in terms of... We've got all the Christmas blockbusters and the uh, the Oscar bait releases out of the way. What have we got on our books that we don't know what the fuck to do with? Mm. Let's just dump it out. I think it actually sat around for about a year and a bit as well. Just kind of, they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, it cost 30 million. 30 million? Three zero. I normally, I don't care about the, the money side of things, but that seems excessive. And during its three month run, it only made 11 million in America. Mm. So it didn't make a profit. It's got an internet movie database score of 5.5, which means the general public didn't like it, and Letterboxd are equally sniffy towards it with a... We're covering this kind of level of film in our podcast, 2.5. Let's have a little break, and we'll discuss what we liked and what we didn't like about In Dreams. Yep, and I will go and deal with the cat poop. Oh, okay. Poops dealt with. Yeah. Oh, you're keeping that in, are you? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um... What did you like about In Dreams? <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we'll start off with the kind of the fairy tale aspect of it because I think maybe that is something we both liked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I mean, it's laid on a bit thick, the, the parallels for the fairy tale. You know, the little girl at the beginning, her daughter, is, is, is in a Snow White play that's being produced in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she wanders off into the woods and gets nabbed. Yeah. So, you know, it is like a kind of a, a fairy tale in itself. Let's just talk about this kids' school production. <laughs> it's very impressive. Ride. It's my favourite part of the film. <laughs> it's outdoor setting, theatre in the round, mm. <laughs> out in the wild, and it's so elaborate it must have had a budget of a million. <laughs> it has a horse it's in a it. Horse, yeah. <laughs> that kid comes riding in it. That's just, the costumes are perfect. They're as close to... 1933 Snow White Disney, as you can do without getting sued. Yeah. <laughs> uh, every kid's got a role in it, even though Snow White's only probably got about 12 speaking parts. <laughs> but that's just kids' plays. It's good. <laughs> yeah, they should have just made the whole film of Snow White. I would have watched it. <laughs> the only annoying thing is the parents' reactions. <laughs> parents reactions oh, I don't better get Aiden Quinn for stars but, <laughs> but yeah no like kind of I was I was like yeah this is the kind of movie I want to be watching yeah it is, it is very impressive mm. um and it's also quite claustrophobic because when she realizes her kid's missing her kid was dressed kind of similarly to a lot of the other little kids in a kind of fairy outfit yeah and she's going around you know spinning the kids round at some point you expect that she's going to spin one round and it's going to be that little dwarf lady from uh don't get down mm. it's um it's it is it's scary it's like oh this, yeah. this is probably what it feels like to have a, a kid go missing i mean serial killer on the loose you might want to keep a closer eye on your kid in yeah. the woods at midnight but definitely whatever. um 
so that's yeah that is a really good bit but it's it goes beyond that you know the 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 killer himself has very much a woodsman uh wolf yeah hermit every kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. um grim very like brothers grim mm-hmm. style to him um he is based in a in a fake apple orchard like an apple processing plant which is all yeah. kind of like brown wooden you know brown and reds it, it, it's it's it looks like the wooden industrial stuff you'd see in a Brothers Grimm fairy story. Like, mm-hmm. kind of, it's a factory, but it's all made of wood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's really well done. And the use of colour throughout it is it's, it's very vivid. It's, mm. it's, it's over the top, so it feels like you're, I suppose, in a dream or um, in a fairy tale. When they're in the woods during the day, it's the, the incredible green, like bright green mm-hmm. um, leaves and the clothes are green and... You know that you know you know that colour has been chosen for a specific reason in a film, but you're not really paying enough attention to exactly what everything is. Um, there's a scene where Annette Benning is talking to Stephen Rear, who's her psychiatrist, and he is in black, and everything behind him is black. He's stood in front of X-rays, and when it goes to her in the conversation, she's completely beige, or the clothes are beige, or mm. the settings are beige, yeah. and stuff like that. So I, I like it when those when the efforts have been taken to do that in a film. Yeah, I mean, I would say it is a very visually insidious film. Mm. Like, in terms of it's constantly trying to pull at your retinas and pull them out of your face Mm. and pull them out of your eye sockets in terms of what it's trying to do. And the dream aspects of the film, for good and bad, are never wavered away from. There's never a scene where you're not sure whether it's a dream or not. And it doesn't ever end on the cop-out of, oh, it was all a dream. No. It's just, it's a film told with an irrational dream logic, which means the pacing's mm-hmm. quite weird. Mm-hmm. The sense of reality's quite weird. Um, and that causes as many problems as yeah. it, but it makes it a quite a distinct film. Yeah, I mean, at least that effort's been made. You can see where what they're trying to do mm. and where they started from. And where they're trying to be it just doesn't always work what else did you like um i liked the horror of it. it it does get really horrible at some parts not the child killing which no. is i think would be the horror part it, the child killing is not even very clear mm. um yeah a body comes out of the water and you know you assume it's that you told that a couple of scenes later it definitely isn't but i wasn't even 100 percent sure that the kid was dead for a while yeah. um but Annette Benning's descent into madness, because she is being driven mad by yeah. these dreams, um, is pretty terrifying. Uh, you know, blood splashed on the wall, well, red paint or whatever yeah. it was, splashed on the walls. She ruins her lovely home. She does, yeah. And it's it's mad, it's scary. There's a bit where kind of um, there are loads of apples and she shoves them into the thing that all Americans have in their kitchen. That the seems garbage incredibly disposal. dangerous, yeah. yeah. Um, and all this horrible kind of like brown apple mulch comes is like regurgitated out of the sink um almost like a kind of like a nightmare on elm street kind of film no there's a lot of films i draw parallels to this film with i think it's quite Mm -hmm. a unique film but there's certain films i think it shares a fair amount of dna with a nightmare on elm street is one of them Mm -hmm. it's like an art house nightmare on elm street or an adult yeah nightmare on elm street rather than nightmare on elm street aimed towards the teen market yeah um Mental hospitals in general always going to be scary, and um, and then and then you've got the arrival of the killer, 
Uh, Very and, late in the day. Yeah. Is that a good thing? Um, no, because I think he was one of the best things in it. The character. Um, not Robert Downey Jr. who plays him. He was not bad. Mm. Um, he scared me. I, I, I thought he was a really scary character. Very complicated. And there mm. are things that we can talk about maybe in the dislike portion. Okay, I'll say what I want to say about that then until then. Okay. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's ambitious as hell. Like all the things they try and cram into one character. Um, but he scared me. Mm-hmm. And his kind of lair where he's got this little girl trapped different little girl Mm -hmm. he's kidnapped a new one um and what he's trying to do and the kind of the setup there is is really sinister um so yeah i think probably it would have served the film better if they'd even weighted it more towards him yeah and made him the main character um and seen a lot more of that then it would have been horror then pure obviously a horror from the beginning and more my kind of thing probably Sure. Okay. I I completely agree with what you're saying, and I know we're going to discuss that more a little bit later on. So, mm-hmm. anything else you liked? Oh, it's so difficult to say. It's one of those films where, and and I think I've probably said it several times, where I can see where it's got a, a low sc- why it's got a low score because as an as an entire thing, mm. it's not it's not very good. It doesn't hold together all that well, and it is un, unsatisfying kind of at the end, but. Now I'm thinking back over it. There are so many things I actually liked about it. Okay. What what I'll say is it feels very much akin to Raising Cain mm. and In the Cut. In that mm. it's a work of clearly someone who's got a vision. And it's a genre film, but mm. it's got such extreme flavours in it that I think it's very easy for reviewers at the time and for... Um, audiences at the time to go no this is just wrong mm. they're just doing it wrong what the, what is this it, it's too oh, it tastes too extreme yeah for what i've bought a ticket for and as, 20 years down the line you watch it and you kind of go no no it's quite interesting what they're doing here and this unfortunately isn't interesting that's that's his problem it's got lots of really potent images and it's got loads of really potent moments it's got a couple of good set pieces and like I say, it doesn't feel like a lot of other films. Mm. But equally, if you just want to have it as a Saturday night rental, it doesn't really fulfil its brief. Because okay. it's, it's quite boring at times. True. But thinking about it, you know, in 1999, you've come off the back of a decade of this kind, you know, them trying to make this kind of film. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are kind of similar to each other. And, and beyond this, you know... Into the, into the 2000s, yeah. psychological thrillers, they don't change that much from each other. Yeah, they, they, they kind of die off. It's, it's, they yeah. definitely wanted to make one with Angelina Jolie, so there's Taking Lives, and there's, they would yeah. make one with... But none of them are particularly good. Whereas, no, they're not. At least, but neither is this one, but at least, it do, at least it doesn't go down the beaten path. No, I, I agree with that. It doesn't go down. I, I've got a wider question for you uh, about Neil Jordan, mm. in particular, because Neil Jordan's made some of my favourite films. Yeah. And he's made a lot of films that people don't really talk about anymore. Um, he's got lots of films that are like fairy tales in the company of wolves. Yeah. Greta, which came out relatively recently with Isabel Hooper and uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh, yeah, that was That's good. That's kind of got like a fairy tale kind of vibe. Yeah. And then he's got his crime films like Mona Lisa, The Good Thief. And then he's got his work that feels more like Hollywood gun for hire, like Interview the Vampire, fairy tales as well, this. Mm. Um, he's got his Irish films, Angel, Butcher's Boy. He's someone who's... You couldn't really call 
like an auteur director because he he's got four, about four different careers mm. as he goes along and there's you could group all these films into four little patches and they all don't really overlap too much apart from maybe interview with the vampire feels like it's a piece of pretty much everything he's done and what i'm going to ask is do you think he's a good director i can't really say i've not seen a whole lot of his films i also always get him mixed up with another guy stephen frears no no um, someone else I think it's another Neil, I think that's why I get them mixed oh, okay. up. Who's the Dog Soldiers guy? Neil Marshall. Marshall. Yeah, he's a very different dude. Yeah, so I, I've, I've always had trouble picking out the two. I think maybe the Dog, dog Soldiers in the Company of Wolves thing is also... Oh, yeah, they, they, they kicked off a werewolf. <laughs> the breakout films are werewolves. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, so thinking about over the films that you've just said, the mm. ones I've seen, yeah, I, I, I've enjoyed, but I've not gone back and rewatched them. Yeah. So maybe that says a lot. Interview uh, with a Vampire, I, mm, that was quite a letdown for me. I thought it was going to be really yeah, good. Yeah. I think it, Interview the Vampire kind of works better now that you're distant from it being like one of the biggest films of the year it came out. And you mm-hmm. kind of go, wow, they, they really took some big swings with this in terms of sexuality and stuff. <laughs> but it still doesn't necessarily make it a particularly great film. No. <laughs> it, it, you know, it feels like a, a, then, a then this happened film rather than an actual yeah. story to tell. Um, but yeah, he, he's, one, he's one I, I kind of wobble on like i'd always go see the next thing he does but i wouldn't handle my heart say i'm a fan of what he does right but yeah but then i really enjoyed greta and i really enjoyed mm. michael collins and i really enjoyed marina lisa and then the company of wolves he's got enough in there that he could he should be a director that's within my kind of oh yeah i'm a neil jordan kind of guy but i'm not yeah it's interesting though isn't it yeah um okay what didn't you like about in dreams Okay, let's start with Annette Benning because oh, I don't want—I want us to be friends by the end of it, so maybe we we can move away from. Oh, I, I'm not going to argue with you, but before you say your opinion, I'm just going to say I think she's really good in what's a challenging role and not a very consistently written role. You think she was really good in this? I think she's good in it. Yeah, she was I think, dreadful in this. Well, you tell me why. Because she can't play mad for a start. Um, every every time she kind of lost it, it was it was oh, it was like nails on a chalkboard annoying um she what do you think mad people are like i don't know (laughs) they're not pleasant to be around (laughs) less clownish fair enough (laughs) um it was just silly whenever she lost it um and but when but when she wasn't being mad when she was just being normal uh Mm -hmm. in inverted commas she was boring so it's like boring or ridiculous they, it seems to be that's what she ran in between. Um, no, I wouldn't ever cast her in a film. Okay, agree to disagree on that one. Do you not like her in an American president? Oh, uh, which one's that? That's Michael Douglas. It's the, it's the dry run for the West Wing where Michael Douglas is oh, the president. okay. I don't remember her in it. She is the lady. Yeah, well, I assume she was, but it can't be very memorable. Okay. So, yeah, I wouldn't have her in this. You know, this needs someone like... Uh, Nicole. Nicole would have been good. Nicole. I was thinking uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. Yeah, Jennifer Jason Leigh. Or like Holly the, Hunter or someone But like basically that. we're talking about Hollywood royalty. Yeah. And Annette Benning kind of is Hollywood royalty by marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know. Well, someone's crown fell off recently, but whatever. Uh, right, let's, we've not covered this in the podcast, I don't think. You've not? got real beef with Warren Beatty at the moment, even though he's one of your favourite movie stars. I love Warren. I, as a... <laughs> yeah. 
Basically, five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will ever take it. away the fact that I love Reds. Like, it's a great film. He's brilliant. Uh, but I cannot forgive what he did to Faye Dunaway at the Oscars. It was it was spineless well, do, do, and it was mean. Let's imagine there's someone listening to the podcast who doesn't know exactly what you're referring to and you just okay. run through exactly what happened. So a few years ago, uh, <laughs> when Moonlight won the Oscar for Best Picture... When the Best Picture winner was read out, the wrong card had been given to the announcers and they read out La La Land and it caused a whole stink. Mm -hmm. Understandably, everybody was very annoyed. However, Mm -hmm. the card in question, though it said La La Land on, Mm -hmm. had other writing on, which kind of made it clear that... uh, Moonlight had wrong. That that it was the wrong card, that a mistake had been made. They're dealing with old people and they put too many film names on the card. Mm. (laughs) So Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway come out to give the award for Best Picture. Why? Because they're in one of the best films ever made together. Um, Bonnie uh, Bonnie and Clyde. And uh, they're both wonderful in that. And I like them both very much as actors. So, you know, great. No no, no issue with uh, giving them the job. But Warren Beatty has the card. He's about to read out the winner. And he knows, you can tell that he knows he's been given the wrong card. But he's too spineless to turn around to say to one of the many staff and producers who are probably just in the wings to say, come here a second, I think there might be an issue with this. So he gives that card to Faye Dunaway, who's probably needing her glasses, but, you know, no one wants to wear the glasses when they're at the Oscars, so she left them at home. Um... (laughs) can see the name of the film because it's huge, doesn't read the rest of it. So she reads it out. She's the one who gets the blame. She's the one who's embarrassed by it all because of him, because he was too spineless to say something. And not only was he too spineless to say something, he was too spineless to read out the card himself. So we gave it to Faye Dunaway, who stood next to him. Shame on you, Warren Beatty. I don't know. There was a guy who worked for, I think, PricewaterhouseCooper or produces the Oscars. He came on to correct everyone when the La La Land people started coming up on stage. And he was such a pissy little bitch. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's one of my favourite Oscar moments. Uh, I, it's horrible. I, I, you, you, you can definitely tell in Warren B's face whether it's exactly the turn of events you've stated or whether he goes, yeah, something's gone wrong here, but I don't want to correct yeah, that way. Let's see if we can just style this out. <laughs> Unbelievable. Bless him. Chicken behaviour. <laughs> Do you think they're still mates? No, I wouldn't be. I, I reckon they probably are because I'm sure Faye Dunaway is a wonderful, forgiving person and she probably yeah. has forgiven him. But yeah. I hope he bought her a very nice bunch of flowers to say sorry. Anyway, so we've got Annette Benning and her husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else did you like? Um, so I struggled at the beginning. I kind of was on board with what was going on in the second half of the film because it settled down. But... You're kind of thrown in at the beginning. You're thrown in after a, a prologue where you're told that an entire town disappeared underwater and you get this pretty impressive underwater yeah. scene of um, like the flooding of the town and then that the was, town underwater. That's the next thing they used to tanks from Titanic. Oh, I'm glad they got some use yeah. out of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's all great. Then you, you get to Annette Benning and you kind of... She's had one of these dreams and the serial killer is already operating and you're just kind of thrown in there like serial killers killed a kid i've just had a dream he was leading away another kid but it might have been a woman who was doing it i don't know and it's all very kind of like wow it's a lot of information to take in right now whilst you're listening to her rehearse this play with her little girl presumably mm. to give that little girl as much screen time as possible before she gets killed because mm. she gets killed very early on and that's done in a really messy way um 
kid goes missing, they're looking for the kid. I understand that. But then almost straight away afterwards, um, the husband leaves to go, go somewhere. Yeah, goes to, go to work. Because, yeah. you know, he, he's a pilot. Him, but whatever. He's a pilot. And he, he, he'd already left. Before, oh, right. Okay. But to the point where you think someone might call the airline and go, listen, he can't have got to the airport just yet. He can't be taken off right now. Mm. His kid's gone missing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. And then they find the kid and they because they're dragging the lake and they, they bring a body out. And Annette Benning uh, freaks out, gets in a car, drives off and ends up driving off a bridge and knocks herself out and wakes up in hospital. And all that kind of happens in a very messy, yeah. confusing way. So, so for me, a lot of the a lot of what went wrong with the film is down to that messy first twenty minutes because it lost me and it took a lot for me to get back on board. It's it's a really tough one, and I, I agree. I think the jerky, dreamlike, manic pacing of the film is a problem. Mm. But everything that happens in that first twenty minutes kind of needs to happen but you kind of know it's gonna happen mm. in a way and it what it really does is is rush things along to a point where it could start having the fun it wants to have mm-hmm. but it doesn't take enough time to do everything it does in, in the same way as go back to raising cane again and i'm going to compare another sequence to raising cane later on brian de palmer's raising cane is it assumes you've seen this movie a few times before and it just wants to get to the good stuff. Mm. And therefore it can, on first or second watch, feel like it doesn't really work. I'd say in Raising Kane's case, the good stuff's worth rushing to. Mm. Whereas in this particular situation, it probably works best as, and I know you'll disagree with me, as a showcase of a famous Hollywood actress doing a challenging genre role. And they're not giving her any of her emotional beats she's supposed to have time to marinate well maybe because they know her shortcomings maybe they edited around her performance if they had the same opinion you do of her Mm. but what i what i'd say is it means stuff like aiden quinn being a potential killer red herring Mm. paul gilfall being a potential killer red herring stephen ray being a potential killer red herring is so rushed there's no real point including it Mm. and it, it does make for a very messy start to a film yeah. But it does keep that same kind of jerky pacing the whole way through the film. So it's hard to criticise the opening when the rest of the film has the same issue, but you're just more used to it. Yeah, I don't think there was really any need for them to do the red herring thing. Um, but it does feel like they're doing it at the yeah. beginning. And that's an issue. That's the reason think, Aiden Quinn goes off. Yeah. It definitely think, has to be. And there are various kind of allusions to the fact that it could be him where they're making love and she's dreaming. And it's yeah. she sees the killer at the same time. Almost like his penis is communicating the dreams to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we, I think probably both of us knew who mm. the killer was going to be. Yeah, it's, it's and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> He's not in it for an hour and a half. <laughs> and I don't know, I find it difficult with these thrillers because they go two different ways. You've either got, you've got the ones where it is somebody, it's a whodunit, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I think we both in our minds always expect that because you grow up reading the Agatha Christie novels and you a lot of the older films and, and that it's somebody in the group yeah whereas um especially with my point horror where well, they went for the seven they went for the seven and yeah the, that's what's called it's the move. seven yeah um and it works in seven yeah it's, it's an amazing scene in seven when he reveals himself yeah um detective I, I don't know if i can think of another film where it really works no nah. 
quite like that quite as well. We've seen something else recently where we were both expecting it to be something really recent. I can't remember what it was. We were both really expecting it to be one of the people already involved. And then it turns out to be someone else. And it's not even someone famous. No. <laughs> it's just they've got an actor to play the killer. I, I think I know exactly what you're referring to and I cannot name you what You can't it name was. it either. Maybe by the end of yeah. this we'll remember. Um, and I find that frustrating. It was, was it the woman in the window? With oh, Amy Adams? Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, okay. Anyway, carry on. I can't remember. Because we don't um, want to ruin that. That's quite a recent film. Yeah. People probably shouldn't watch it. We would cover it in this podcast if it was available on physical media. Uh, <laughs> but we wouldn't... We wouldn't buy it now. <laughs> anyway, I just think it's you go one way or the other. Make it clear from the beginning that you're doing a seven uh, by not having red herrings, or mm. or do it who done it. But yeah, don't try and mix and match because that's just going to leave people frustrated. Yes, and it is annoying because it's a good villain. Yeah, it's a good villain, and you know, they, I would say one thing that I was thinking for it even though Robert Downey Jr. is obviously going to be the killer because of how how he appears in the credits mm. I thought possibly Annette Benning was the killer and Robert Downey Jr. maybe is manifesting because there's mm. a couple of scenes where they said oh the dream it could be he or she or you know and she's wandering around in costume and stuff so that was a little bit did you not get that vibe? yeah do you know what it's never really occurred to me but that might that might be tr- well it can't be true because of mm. the other stuff that cropped up and the, yeah but the name the name as well is uh, unisex name. Yeah, unisex, Vivian. So yeah. Well, no, Vivian is um, Vivian, non-gender specific. More likely to be a lady than a man. Yeah, is what I'd say. And then at the end, Annette Benning essentially disappears, doesn't she? Yes. Oh. Well, I mean, that would have been a much better way to go, but they got they would have had to make it clearer. <laughs> I mean, we haven't read Doll's Eye by Barry Woods. We don't know what Bruce Robinson's original script was like, but maybe that's where it was going and why all this stuff's in there. Yeah. And Neil Jordan wanted to get to, I am going to do an excellent school play. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's one really good set piece that I enjoyed. Okay. Where Annette Benning escapes from her asylum. Yeah. And parallel to that, we see Robert Downey Jr.'s younger self when he's a child mm-hmm. also escaped from asylum in a similar way mm-hmm. so it's almost like Annette Banning's channeling the child's memories the child killer's memories mm. to escape from the same asylum and that felt very much like a Raising Cane Brian De Palma kind of sequence as well yeah I enjoyed that part that was my favourite part but again I would say if you're a how many killings audience member mm. it'd be baffling as fuck what's going on there yeah I'm just thinking, whilst you were saying that, uh, one of the killings kind of happens when she's in a, in the asylum mm. with the dog in there. Yeah, the dog's a weird bit. Yeah. Like, there's a, she, has a, she has a pet dog, and something's going on with the dog, and he's definitely involved in, or around, when some murders happens and turns up at bizarre points mm. and causes chaos. And it's never really explained who's messing with the dog. We assume it's Robert Downey Jr. about how he's getting the dog to do what he wants it to do. Mm. All these things. It's almost like there should be another film called Dog in Dreams where we follow the dog's story because it never really gels with what's going on in the rest of the film. No, it doesn't. But again, you could justify it saying, well, there's a dream logic to this. You don't need to know all the answers. Mm. That doesn't need to be all explained to you. But there's also part of you going... What's going on with that dog? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't really use that as a cop-out, can you? If it, I, I do, this bit doesn't make sense, well, it doesn't matter because it's dreamlike. Mm. You can't do that. 
in a film that people have paid a ticket to see and just want to spend a Saturday night watching. What else didn't you like? Um, I think some of the characters are really underused to the point that it's a bit ridiculous that they're even in the film. Stephen Rare. Yeah, I mean, I want characters, not mm. actors, characters. I would want to see more of his character. He is a psychiatrist who obviously doesn't believe her at first, mm. but then kind of gets on board because he has to, mm. um, and then believes her. And mm. you would think in a film where most of the film, the main character has gone bonkers the psychiatrist might have a slightly bigger role in it. True, true say. He also they, makes a really bizarre call of letting her go back home with her dodgy husband. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Which but... clearly needs time to recuperate in a hospital environment. Even the dodgy husband is underused. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm saying this for obvious reasons. We'd always like to see more Aidan Quinn in a film. He's a beautiful man, isn't he, darling? He's got those lovely eyes. Yeah, yeah, but he also disappears. I mean, he, he gets it from the dog, but mm. um, even that's done like, well... You don't actually see him. Die. His face savage. No, yeah. we only we only know it's happened because she dreamt about it earlier. Yeah, um, and he just, so he just disappears, and then Paul Gilfoyle. You get you know you manage to land Paul Gilfoyle in your film, and then you just give him a couple of scenes. What's there's, that about? There's many a film that has Paul <laughs> Gilfoyle in just a couple of scenes, darling. He is a that guy. He is. You watch and go that that guy. We happen to know it's Paul Gilfoyle, but. Mm. Most people watching that go, oh, yeah, it's one of the drug dealers from Three Men and a Baby. No, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> for me, it's like, you know, when Jack Nicholson's only in two scenes of broadcast news, it's like, what, what do they do? They've got Jack Nicholson. Put him in more. Can, can, you just, <laughs> can you just run that past me again? Are you comparing Paul Gilfoyle, jobbing character actor, lovely man, to <laughs> multi-generational A-list megastar Jack Nicholson? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I could promise you if in at the red carpet queue Jennifer Lawrence was being interviewed and Paul Gilford would behind her, she wouldn't go, Oh wow <laughs> But wouldn't it be nice if she did? <laughs> it would be I nice. would. <laughs> okay. Anything else you didn't like? Yeah, should we talk about the Robert Downey Jr. his character's problems? Yeah, please. Yeah, so as I mentioned before, I like the fact that they make him an incredibly complex character. Now, a lot of the information we get about the killer's background comes late in the day, and it's all kind of like a tsunami of information that you get, that he was uh, in the flooding of this ghost yeah. town that ended up under the water. He was abandoned by his parents to die, um, but he got rescued, got taken to a mental hospital where, for some reason, they tortured him. Yeah, <laughs> I know it was the 60s, but still... You know, shock treatment, waterboarding, yeah. or whatever they yeah. called them. It was, it was quite an extreme bit of therapy they did on a child. Yeah. Um, he escapes, and then there's like 20 years of unexplained life yeah. that happens. Just so eating was, apples. Just uh, eating apples at the old cider plant. Yeah. Um, and then he materialises. And he is a very tragic figure. Like, you, you feel so sorry for this kid when you see him um i mean he's creepy by the time he gets to 12 and escapes from the asylum Mm. but he also has a very interesting but quite a bold character aesthetic which is (laughs) which is the fact that he's he, he seems to have both female and male kind of personalities within himself yes i'm not sure i wouldn't go as far as saying trans no because he's he's he dresses um speaks, acts like a man, and assuming that it's not meant to be Annette Benning, mm-hmm. uh herself, his, you know, 
he uh, has kept a male identity. But he, um, there are comments about that when the little girl that he's kidnapped, who he seems to have treated pretty well, yes, um, in the cider place, mm-hmm. he, she makes comments about, oh, he, he says that mommy's, daddy's can cook too. There are comments about him having both mother and father yeah. role. So there's that element of his own mother and father were awful that he escaped, and he seems to have become both a mother and a father to himself mm-hmm. for the last 30 years and he but and he, but he also does dress as a woman so he's got long long hair in the dream at the beginning Annette Benning can't tell whether it's a man or a woman because of this long red hair um and then that's kind of falls by the wayside but then when he escapes from the asylum he dresses and acts very convincingly like a female nurse yes and he he, he, he sort of He's sexualized. He leads on the, yeah, the police officer that he tricks into driving him out of the compound. Um, in a way, it's 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 bizarre, but it's fascinating. It was yeah, my favorite it's, bit. It's, it's, so it's, it's, it's a great sequence. Both of them escaping in tandem, in parallel. Mm. Um, and she looks like a man by that point. Yeah. She's got very short hair. She's, She's got the same haircut he has at the very end yeah. when he goes to goes yeah, to the that's, asylum. That's true. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, there's definitely stuff to pick out there. Poetic stuff, let's mm. call it. Or interesting stuff, but it's just not explored any more than, say, Psycho does. Yeah. So on a kind of a superficial level, you could see people watching this and just thinking, you know, they've made him trans. Or they've, mm. they've, 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 they've done that to make him seem... Mm. more crazy or whatever and i can see maybe how that that's maybe slightly problematic i don't think that's the problem with this film having such a low rating no no i don't don't think it is a a a woke assessment of an older older film now i mean i wouldn't say that there is a particular issue because i think what they're doing is so interesting that um that they're doing something else they're not they're not going down the trans route they are looking at someone who is trying to be his own mother essentially Um, and wants to create a family. Um, and so for, for 30 years, he's been creating an entire family within himself where he is mother, father and child. And then this whole recent spate of killings where he's kidnapped little girls is him trying to find a little girl. He's trying to find Annette Benning to, to have a mother and a daughter to make a family to, to sort of like externalise the roles. Um, and that's really interesting. So I don't have an issue with that at all. But what I do have an issue with is at the end... Um, the glory the film takes in his downfall and his, you know, it, the film ends with him in the mental hospital, spoilers, but yeah. whatever, um, being in, mentally tortured through dreams. Um, By Annette Benning's ghost, we assume. We assume. Um, and it's horrible when you consider that this is he's a mentally ill man. I mean, the man who does kill children, though. I yeah, mean, I know, yeah. but he's crazy. The man's yeah. crazy. It's, it's, I don't, I did, I hated it. I, I, I really hated the way they ended that because he, it, it's weird as well because he does seem quite sympathetic at times. Yeah, but I mean, you, one would assume that a preview audience said, no, no, he's a child killer. We would need to see him get some kind of comeuppance rather than just locked away. Yeah, well, I disagree. Not, you know, not like yay child killers. I'm not, not a fan, but no. I, I don't think. You need to glory in mm. someone's problems. Okay. Like uh, that. So I, that, that really annoyed me at the end of the film. Anything else you didn't like? That's all I've got on my list. Then let's have a little break and we'll do our regular questions. Okay, okay. Regular questions. Yeah. 
I'm quite excited about this one. I'm not sure which way you're going to go. <laughs> okay. Who was the Michael Parks of the piece? Who, when everyone else was collecting a paycheck, put in full effort and really stole the show? I'm going to go with Robert Downey Jr. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't, I wasn't going to predict that I, don't, I mean, I don't hate Robert Downey Jr. He's no one at Benning. He, he's, he's great in certain films. And in this, he really does take the, the crown for best actor <laughs> I'll, I'll let you have it i'll let you have it who would um, you have gone for i i think it's a, it's a split ticket i mean that kind of possibly rdj hmm. possibly paul gilfoyle possibly <laughs> stephen rayer possibly aiden quinn because he's so beautiful yeah uh possibly that guy from breaking bad and batteries not included basil <laughs> Pater- Pateris, oh you mean break back or soul back or soul yeah <laughs> but you know I, I think everyone was on an even kill that's okay. what i say so if you want to give it to rdj i'm happy with that yeah i will Product placement. Who kicked in some cash to have their wares on show? I stole from you. Because yeah. at one point in the film, you just went Apple computer <laughs> well, <laughs> and no, wrote it, it down. I don't know if it was an Apple computer. It just it oh. was a computer with lots of apples as a screen. <laughs> oh, okay. It was a joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did not get that joke. No, uh, I, did, I, did, I didn't notice anything. That's not a massive surprise considering it is a film about a child killer. Okay. You wouldn't want to see RDJ <laughs> kick back to a beautiful uh, Mountain Dew or something. No, I suppose not. Yeah, the drink, the choice of serial killers. Yeah, no, I did. Okay, good. I don't feel oh, so bad about not an appetizer in this case. <laughs> if you could make one change to In Dreams, what would it be? Uh, I'd, I'd just get rid of Annette Benning. I think maybe it would have annoyed me less if Annette Benning was someone else, like, you know, Sigourney Weaver or someone. I don't know. I think you're being a little bit unfair, but I think possibly I would have had the ending explore more than justice and more about their two personalities. Oh, that's much better than mine. I'm going to say, yeah, I'll have yours instead. Okay. Uh, if you could cast James Spader in this, where would you cast him? I would cast him as the psychiatrist. Stephen Rare's role. Yeah, because I get rid of Stephen Rare. He's a very good actor, no, Stephen Rare. No, he's not. Okay. Um, and also, you know... Uh, he just looks like a psychiatrist. And, you know, once Aidan Quinn's out of the picture, mm-hmm. there's a bit of romantic potential. Oh, no. No? no Not allowed to anymore. <laughs> no. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sure he probably Plus, has co-starred with Annette Benning or something. Oh, maybe. Um, it, it's nice for James Fader and um, Robert Downey Jr. to be in stuff together because they're friends. They're mates. They're buddies. Yeah. Though that is a problem in itself because that's the reason why we're never going to have an entire James Spader collection. I can't believe James Spader would have been in one of those Avengers films had it not been for Robert Downey Jr. So probably true. Um, did this film need more sex scenes? Sex scenes. Well, the sex scene that begins kind of ends with her biting Aidan Quinn on the face. Yeah, and it's quite a nasty like bite. It's not like a oh you've drawn blood. It's like it was almost like she. But it's his lip off, but then it's still there next scene. But I suppose when your child's just died and you've literally that day been released from hospital, yeah, maybe him. that's not the best time to be having sex with your wife. Yeah, late that sneaky uncle shouldn't be happening <laughs> <laughs> when you're grieving and you're uh, you're just out of neurological wards. <laughs> yeah. It does seem like a bold move by anyone <laughs> <laughs> to see, well, I might be in the charts here. Mm. But like the violence in general is like really... It only happens like three or four times, but it's and it's only glimpses, but it's mm. nasty. It yeah. genuinely is like kind of something that belongs more in a seven or a saw film. Yeah. Yeah. Um Do you think Bill Clay enjoyed watching in dreams? Bill Clay's our kitten. He's asleep behind us right now while we record this. He did come in and watch a fair bit of it. Yeah, he he sat on the your footstool on your legs and watched 
mm. and then left. Then left. He, he spent a lot more time listening to this podcast recording than he did watching the film. Fair enough. Sorry so that. I don't think he was a huge fan. You reckon he liked the bit where the dog got yeah, I think, around Yeah, I think he, what's going on with this dog? Let's see him get his cup up. And... Yeah, but I watched Cujo the other night. He wants nothing to do with it. Yeah, but the dog's the hero of that one, I think. The Cujo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which leads us to our last question. Is In Dreams worse or better than Bad Boys? Now, I'm going to say it's worse. Good. But I did, during the course of the last 45 minutes or whatever, I have talked myself round to liking it more than I did when I watched it yesterday. So I might watch it again at some point and I might change my opinion on that. But at the moment, today, I uh, would say no, it's worse than Bad Boys. It is worse than Bad Boys. I mean, it is, it's taking a big reach in terms of what it's trying to do. I'm not saying it's successful in what it's trying to do. And that's that means it's quite a disappointing, boring watch at times. Oh, such a shame. Could be so could be so good. Yeah, but be I mean, great. Here, here's the positive. There's loads of films that do this better and... Yeah. Let's enjoy those. Forget about one, but it's a misfire. That's true. Would you like to know what we're covering next month? Oh, yeah. Next episode. Mm. Howard the Duck. I've never seen Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck. But yeah. People go on about it like it's amazing. No, like it's terrible, though. Oh, they terrible. hate Howard the Duck. They hate it. They hate oh, Howard the Duck. Uh, it's a duck from the moon, right? He's a duck from his own planet, from planet duck or something like that. <laughs> well, I'm excited. <laughs> um, he crash lands on Earth to be in an ET style adventure. But the only oh. slight issue is he's a horny bugger. Is he? Oh, yeah, he likes fucking. Oh, no, he's a duck. <laughs> yeah, no. It's uh, George Lucas's post-Star Wars, post-Indiana Jones, next big swing. Oh. It was very unsuccessful at the time, and I think a lot of Hollywood took pleasure in the idea that the guy who reinvented the blockbuster map had such a misfire. That's a bit churlish. But for people of a certain age, yeah. to see your Your husband, age, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think most of us enjoy a bit of Howard the Duck. Oh, well, you must be looking forward to the next podcast then. Also, the first Hollywood studio Marvel adaptation. Is it now? Yeah. So lots to talk about. Okie dokie. See you next episode, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.